Hey, Northeast Pennsylvania, it's Rob O'Donnell here on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. It's currently 36 degrees and 310 here in Northeast Pennsylvania. How's everyone doing on this Friday, February 15th, 2024? Thursday. Sorry about that. Thursday. I'm looking forward. I wish it was Friday. Right? <laughs> looking forward to the weekend already. Thank you, Jake. Keep me in line there, as no always. <laughs> Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Also known as the day after Valentine's or the breakup day. And if you've been watching the uh, Fannie Willis, uh, Mr. Wade trial from Georgia on the possibly excluding them, uh, you'll know exactly what that means. But, uh... We're going to get into a little bit of that later. We started yesterday's show with this emerging information about a threat coming from Russia. And it was unknown. Actually, it was unknown who it was from, unknown what type of threat there was. Originally, it was an unknown threat that I thought the way it was worded was leading more towards an EMP, a electromagnetic pulse which if you don't know what that does, it sends out a signal that basically fries everything electronic, all communications, vehicles, anything electronic, it kind of fries it unless it's protected in a certain way. So that's what an EMP is. And EMPs can be uh, detonated from the ground. They can be detonated underground. They can be detonated above uh, above in the air. They can be detonated um, in space and set out an even larger pulse down into the atmosphere depending on what kind of coverage and what you want. Now, EMPs, uh, they could be used very small for a small designated area. But uh, just think about the the damage that that can do if, if you lose ex- anything electronic. Your vehicle will not run. Your Anything electronic will not run. Your house, um, anything that uses electricity is just done. So, uh, you know, it puts everything in an immediate blackout can't get anywhere because it does fry the alternators and other electronics in your vehicles and such like that. So that's where it was leaning towards the way I read it. And then it was more towards a nuclear um, issue that they had some kind of new capability possibly in space or, or were looking to get it in space. Well, now it, it appears the the White House has released a little more information because there was scare and panic put out saying that there was this imminent threat that they needed to tell the American public they needed to tell all members of Congress the Gang of Eight needed to meet to be briefed by the administration. And those things aren't to be taken lightly. Well, it it came out more today because of that panic, because of people asking lots and lots of questions, which the way it should be when information like that comes out, is uh, an emerging anti-satellite weapon that Russia may have or may have potentially in the future. So that's what that was about. And we started yesterday's show with that. And talking about that issue, and then we had the breaking news out of Kansas City uh, with the shooting there, which we're going to get into here. And if you listen to the show yesterday, uh, a lot of what uh, you know I broke down for you yesterday turned out to be the case. There is more information out now, obviously, and such like that. So we're going to get into that as well. But let me get into this. The White House has publicly confirmed on Thursday that Russia has obtained a troubling emerging anti-satellite weapon but said it cannot directly cause physical destruction on Earth. It's a big mouthful there. A lot to take in. White House National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby said U.S. intelligence officials have information that Russia has obtained the capability, but that such a weapon is not currently operational. U.S. officials are analyzing the information that they have on the emerging technology 
and have consulted with allies and partners on the matter. First, this is not an active capability, John Kirby said. That's being that's been deployed, and though Russia's pursuit of a particular capability is troubling, there's no immediate threat to anyone's safety, Kirby said. We're not talking about a weapon that can be used to used to use to attack. They, they put used in there twice. Used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. The White House confirmed its intelligence after a vague warning Wednesday from Republican head of Intelligence House Committee, Ohio Representative Mike Turner, urged the Biden administration to declassify information about what he called a serious national security threat. Kirby said that the process of reviewing and declassifying information about the Russian capability was underway when Turner regrettably released the statement, we have been very careful and deliberate without about what we decide to declassify, downgrade, and share with the public, he added. Russia has downplayed the U.S. concerns about the capability in Moscow Kremlin spokesperson. Again, this is coming from Moscow. You take it with about as much grain of salt as, unfortunately, we give John Kirby. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov described the claims about the new Russian military capability as a ruse intended to make the U.S. Congress support aid for Ukraine. That may not be a lie. And it's it is suspect the timing of it. It's obviously that Washington it's obvious that Washington is trying to force Congress to vote on an aid bill to hook by hook or crook, Peskov said in the remarks carried by Russian news agencies. Let's see what the ruse the White House will use. The capability in space based on uh, the capability in space based and would violate an international space treaty to which more than 130 countries have signed on to, including Russia. The White House said it would look to engage the Russians directly on the concerns, even as the White House sought to assure Americans Kirby acknowledged that it was a serious matter. I don't want to minimize the potential here for disruption, Kirby said. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan was scheduled to brief lawmakers Thursday on Capitol Hill on the Russian threat. The White House did not hide its frustration on how the information was handled. We make decisions about how and when to publicly disclose intelligence in a careful, deliberate way and strategic way. And in a way we choose, Kirby said. We're not going to be knocked off that process regardless of what, in this particular case, has found its way to the public domain, he added. I can assure you that we will continue to keep members of Congress as well as our international partners and all of you and the American people as fully informed as possible. So that's the update to that. And again, not to be, not to diminish what it is. It's not an imminent threat, but uh, an emerging anti-satellite weapon is, is, can be damaging, can be extremely damaging. Look at the amount of information we have. Look at the amount of, uh, I mean, we're not all hard-lined into our, our, our anything. You know, cell phones, GPSs, uh, they're all interconnected in some way with almost every aspect of our lives. You knock, you, you knock out GPS systems worldwide, and, and there's not that much to disrupt that. There's not, it, it wouldn't be a major event to disrupt that. There's primary GPS satellites that we use as civilians and the military uses. Now, there's also different categories of that, but it is a big deal as far as what goes on with that. So it's something to keep an eye on. And we'll see what happens. But I agree the timing 
of this, pointing at Russia at a time where we have uh, this aid bill for uh, for Ukraine sitting there. And I'll just remind you that we have another fiscal cliff coming for us. We're hitting our debt ceiling, I believe, March 8th and like 15th. There's two dates now. They're like the second week of March where we hit our debt ceiling again. And you hear all this talk about billions of dollars for Ukraine. You hear all these talks about billions of dollars for Israel, all these talk about billions of dollars for the Palestine region and the Indo-Pacific while we're headed towards a fiscal cliff ourselves, with a debt ceiling the second week in March. Because obviously, since the last debt ceiling agreement, there's been no work to get that done. So you're looking at another thousand-page omnibus bill that no one really reads, that pretty much funds everything, including grasshoppers in space, that, uh, that no one really reads. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in. Let's uh, go back over to what took place in Kansas City yesterday. Now, there's been two—I watched the press conference today. I spoke to some of my friends in the Kansas City Police Department today, and— uh, at first, the police chief said there were 23 victims, and then the fire chief said there were 22 victims, and there's one dead. And we're going to get into more specifically on who that is and such. So I don't know if it's 22 plus the one or it's 22 or 23 in total. It's, it's hard to determine because there were two different numbers given. There was either 22 or 23 victims. One has died, a 43-year-old female radio host that's popular in the Kansas City area. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Later in the show, eight critical still. Half of the victims were under 16, the youngest being eight years old. This appears obviously not to be any kind of target or terrorism type event. It stemmed from a dispute between two groups. Multiple firearms have been recovered. Two suspects are juveniles, including the one that I described to you yesterday wearing the, the beige Carhartt jacket that appeared to have an AR-style weapon. And they still haven't uh, stated what weapons were recovered at this point, but I think it's pretty safe to say since I saw the video of him being tackled, the weapon being recovered and removed, to say that that's at least one of them. Several more have been detained, but as of this earlier today, 1 o'clock, no one was charged, but they have to be charged within 24 hours. So sometime in the next couple of hours, they're going to have to charge individuals, but two of the individuals that they have are at least juveniles that were there one million people were estimated at this parade i know jake yesterday we were talking about how many could possibly be there the police chief did confirm there were a million people at this parade uh 800 law enforcement officers from all different agencies and such like that then you add the the fire department and ems and everybody else that was there the federal counterparts that were there uh 800 just just law enforcement wise i'm talking you're probably talking another couple hundred with uh fire and first responders, EMTs and such. The fire chief said there were at least two dozen fire and EMS personnel within 40 feet of this shooting when it took place. And they did not run for cover. They ran to assist in the victims. At first yesterday, they thought there may have been one, two different shooting scenes. They have um, determined now that it is just the one shooting scene to the west of the Union Station that's there. And they're going through their investigation. Now, 
we'll get into a little bit what that entails at this point. Even though we have video of one of the suspects running, apparently dropping a firearm, that firearm being recovered, him being held for the police to get there. The difficulties that there is now in putting this case together. So we're going to get into that a little bit and talk about those details as we come back. You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. 35 degrees and cloudy here at 326 on this Thursday, February 15th, 2024. Well, one of the victims, a deceased victim, female 43, was a beloved um, radio host. Beloved DJ in the Kansas City area, Lisa Lopez-Galvin, Kansas City Chiefs superfan, mom of two, was killed in the Super Bowl parade shooting, uh, described as most wonderful, beautiful person. A mother of two, avid Kansas City fan, was killed during the Wednesday afternoon shooting near the team's hometown Super Bowl victory parade. Lisa Lopez-Galvin died during surgery at a local hospital for a gunshot wound to her abdomen. Abdomen, love, uh, loved one said, and confirmed by the Kansas City Star. She was the most wonderful, beautiful person, longtime friend who works from the Star's newsroom, executive administration assistant, told the newspaper. She was a local DJ. She did everybody's wedding. We all knew her. She was full of life. It's not clear whether uh, Lopez Galvin is the one death that Kansas City Police has confirmed or if her death marks a second murder. Throughout the afternoon before she died, Lopez Galvin's Facebook was filled with messages offering hope and safety and recovering, sending prayers to the family. Now, it says that uh, during the press conference that one person was killed and 22 others injured. So it does look like there's 23 in total as per this article. But she was a local beloved DJ for that area, big in the Spanish community out there. She worked as a disc jockey for the community radio station KKFI and was the co-host of the Tejano Tuesday, which focused on Hispanic music. Um, I went to that station's website, and she was a large part of that. Now, going to what happens here, and again, looking at the video, looking at the information we have. Now, this was a dispute between two groups. Juveniles, as per the two of the, the few that are arrested, um, they're already breaking laws. Juveniles should not have any type of weapon. Uh, it's obviously against the law to shoot people. It's obviously against the law to kill people. So multiple laws broken before we even start there. But there is video of this individual in that Carhartt duck-colored jacket running, being tackled, a firearm falling to the floor, being recovered by a woman there. So that chain of evidence is pretty easy to prove once it's slowed down. As a matter of fact, I proved it to you yesterday before my show ended by breaking it down, slowing it down on my iPad, and looking at it frame by frame. Here's where it runs into that. Because this is a dispute between two groups, a large crowd, are you really paying attention to what could be 30 feet from you, 40 feet from you, seeing what their face looks like, individuals like that? Now, obviously, they can connect this individual to the gun that was dropped. I'm sure there's fingerprints on it. Uh, the video shows that where he was tackled, that gun was brought to the floor. I'm sure there's citizens there. Matter of fact, the one hero that was there with his wife and kids um, that tackled him said he saw the firearm, and he said he saw it fall from his arms, thought he still had it. That's why he started punching him in the ribs, if you watch the video. So you can trace this individual, who's most likely a juvenile, to having that firearm. 
Now, I can tell you what's going to happen as far as defense goes. They're going to say he picked up the weapon after the shots to defend himself because he was afraid and he was running because he heard gunshots. That's what's going to happen as this goes forward to a tribal once a defense attorney gets a hold of him. Now, you're going to need people, either video or people who can pick him out of a lineup saying, yes, that's the person that shot. That's the person that shot me as a victim. That's the per- witnesses. That's the person I saw shooting that weapon multiple times at other people. That's going to be more difficult to get. So and as far as an investigation goes, this is where this is what law enforcement is facing. And that's why when you hear poli- the police chief speak and, and you know, is as um, not as flowing as her statements have been. She's not wrong by saying I'm not giving a lot of this information out. She shouldn't be because I'm telling you right now how this is going to work out as they move backwards. It's going to be hard to pinpoint this individual, even though you saw him running, saw him drop a firearm and get tackled, his fingerprints will be on the weapon. They can prove that that weapon was fired because they'll get ballistics from the victims, they'll get the ballistics from the gun, and say, yes, this weapon shot these people. But unless someone could say beyond reasonable doubt, I saw, yes, this individual, not by his clothing, by his face, because he'll be wearing different clothing at that time. When, it, when a lineup or photo array or something takes place. Yes, I saw this person shoot me, or I saw this person shooting other people, and I could say that beyond a reasonable doubt, without a doubt. That's going to be harder because, again, in a large crowd situation, everybody's moving. People really don't have situational awareness unless there was a la- something that drew their attention to this argument before the shooting to where they were already looking or right there when he took out the weapon. It's going to be more difficult to trace this all back because, again, once a defense attorney gets a hold of him, you're going to hear that, well, I was there with my friends. There was a shooting. I looked down. There was this gun there. I was afraid for my life, so I picked up the gun because I was afraid I might have to protect myself, and I was running like everybody else was running, and then they tackled me. And then they're going to say, well, that gun was the one that shot all these people. And says, yeah, well, I picked it up after the fact. I never shot anybody. So unless you can get someone definitively to have him at the scene or cameras, surveillance cameras from the city that actually show this, which there most probably is because this is a transportation hub, it just goes to show how not cut and dry these investigations get, especially once a defense attorney gets in there. So we'll talk a a little bit more about that. Um, Again, our condolences go out to the radio host, Lopez Galvin, out there, Lisa Lopez, as she was referred to. A radio host that was just there with her adult kids to uh, to watch the Super Bowl. We're going to talk more about the heroes that stopped this armed individual to tackle him to uh, keep the people safe. It's uh, 3.32 here at WILK. We'll be back after the news with Nancy Kamen, who's in for Paul Michaels today. Back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Text messages never cease to amaze me. Um, do have a couple of nice ones, though. Some of them plants. The other ones, obviously, are valid questions. Um, somebody asked about the gunshot residue on the suspect. Yes and no. It's helpful, but it's not definitive. Somebody, again, I got two two messages about gunshot residue on the hands. Uh, if the gun was recently fired and you picked it up, there would be gunshot residue there. So it, it is a good piece of 
um, circumstantial evidence, but it's not there. Somebody asked about fingerprints on the shell casings. The ones that were fired, no, highly unlikely. A fired shell casing casing does not retain fingerprints too well because of the heat abstracted when the round goes off. So if it's a fired ejected shell, a lot of times those fingerprints are either corrupt or not complete or not there at all because they're burnt off. Where they can tie him is um, the shell casings, if there were any, the the rounds, the unfired rounds that were still in the magazine or the gun itself. Uh, There you would be able to find fingerprints on those rounds because they were not fired yet and uh, still in the magazine, which means they can tie this individual to loading that firearm, which again is a good piece of circumstantial information that you could tie with everything else. So uh, I hope those asks, answers those questions there. And we're going to get back to this. We're going to jump in and out of this conversation as we move on through the day. But I want to get some some local things. The Scranton payroll tax filing deadline is nearing. Uh, the due date for Scranton businesses to submit their 2023 fourth quarter payroll preparation tax return is February 28th. Berkheimer Tax Innovations is collecting the tax owed by those conducting business in the city for both the city of Scranton City and the Scranton School District. Returns submitted late will be subject to penalties and interest on balances due. Institutions exempt from the tax due to their nonprofit status are required to file a quarterly return claiming their exemption, according to the city press release. Again, you can contact Berkheimers through multiple avenues to contact them. You can just do a search and find out where they're located and what their contact is. But if you owe a Scranton business tax, uh, your deadline is February 28th. So uh, so uh, make sure you check out what's going on to there. Um, yeah, listen, there's, there's, there's questions coming in about all sorts of things, and obviously uh, they, they don't affect my show one way or another. So that's that's what I have to say on who who does and who doesn't own Odyssey. At this point, it doesn't affect what I bring to you one way or another. And we'll see. It's as simple as that. So I appreciate your questions. Um, yes, Odyssey is in the midst of a transition, but from what we're told, it will not affect the day-to-day programming. It will not affect this show whatsoever. And if it does, then, hey, there's always truck driving school, right? Somebody asked about uh, can we can we not see and I get what you're saying and I get the point. Somebody says, "Hey Rob, can we not use what the mainstream media does to the narratives and just say shooter used a rifle?" I mean to say that it's a AR style means what? Nothing other than helping spread agenda narrative. It's a rifle. Period. I get that it is a semi all an AR platform rifle is is a semi automatic rifle, but it is an AR style. It's a distinct style. It's very specific. And it doesn't mean that scary name where they call everything assault rifle or assault weapons. Uh, Because no one could define what that is even by saying it. But it sounds scary. But to say it is an AR-style rifle, I'm sorry, that's just what it is. And I'm going to say what it is. You know, if I was out in the field with fellow law enforcement officers to to give a description to that, I'm just not going to say rifle. I'm going to say an AR-style rifle. A, because it tells us a lot of things. Um, But again... It is a semi-automatic rifle. That's all an AR-style rifle is. It just looks different, but based on the optics of the weapon, it is an AR-style. It's different. It looks different than other semi-automatic rifles. It doesn't operate any different, but I'm sorry. You know, I get what you're saying, 
And, you know, that's when the mainstream media uses that assault rifle mantra here. And, and I've gotten into conversations today. You know, you, you had politicians such as uh, Senator Casey within minutes of this shooting happening saying something needed to be done. Well, what needed to be done, Bob? You have juveniles who have weapons that they shouldn't have committing crimes that are already against the law. You cannot make murder. You cannot make assault one. You cannot make shooting people more criminal. Now, you can increase the penalties for it. And like I say all the time, let's have a 10-year minimum, no parole, no plea for anyone who uses a semi-automatic rifle in a violent felony or a magazine that's greater than 15 in a violent felony. And let's extend that to juveniles. So if you're 15 years old and you commit a, a firearm offense that fits into this category, you will serve three years in a juvenile facility. And as soon as you turn 18, you go to big boy prison for seven years. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you promote that to no end in our inner city, saying, I don't care if you're 14, you will serve um, four years in a juvenile facility, and then you'll do six years in a big boy prison. And that's that. I guarantee you it cuts down on it because they already have zero respect for current laws. If you make them, if you prove to them there's going to be serious penalties, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, and it's out of everyone's hands, you can't plea it, you can't parole it, nothing. You go away, bye. At best, you're putting them away from about years so they can't hurt anybody else. At the worst, you're doing better than you're doing now, right? It's uh, 343 here at WILK. We'll be back. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Just check it in. You can call or text at 570-883-0098. Even if someone told you to text or call, you can still. Um, Hey, Rob, I hope you're taping the DA Georgia hearing. If there was ever a more hostile witness allowed to drone on, I've never seen it. If it's anything like the earlier testimony from Mr. Wade, her boyfriend, uh, it's phenomenal. I could see, I, I have the, the video in front of me of Fannie Willis testifying now. And um, I'll, I'll, get the, I'll get to look at it later, but obviously right now I have this. Uh, somebody else texted in, the AR-style rifle seems to be the weapon of choice in these shootings. It's actually not. The majority of shootings are committed by handguns in America. So uh, that's just a fallacy. Less than 1% of shootings are committed with semi-automatic rifles, including the AR. Uh, it's just they get this, these get the most attention. If you remember, yeah, a couple of days ago, I talked about that mass subway shooting um, in New York where five people were shot. Um, there's mass shootings all the time in our inner cities that just don't get the, the attention they need. And a big point of it is because there is no fear of carrying firearms anymore. Look at this instance in itself. You had a million people at a largely televised parade with 800 law enforcement officers. And you had an individual, for whatever reason, this juvenile, think it was safe and okay to bring a semi-automatic rifle concealed somewhere on his person, and open fire. There is no fear from criminals in committing legal acts. Merely having the firearm was an illegal act. Using it multiple times was 23 illegal acts. Murder is one of the most heinous acts that you can do. Half of these victims are children. There's no fear 
of retribution from these individuals. There used to be. That's why they weren't carrying guns anymore. And then they changed the rules because they wanted to be more criminal friendly. So just looking through some text messages there. Let's talk about the this this one of the heroes. There were multiple. There was there was like I said there were about 5 or 6 including his wife. But a dad who tackled the Kansas City Chiefs parade shooter speaks out. Yeah, he said I started racking him in his ribs and you can literally see him punching him in the ribs because he thought he was still armed. Um the heroic Kansas City Chiefs fan who helped stop one of the alleged shooters as the team Super Bowl parade Wednesday tackled the man to the ground without stopping to think, and his wife grabbed the firearm to move it out of the way. We're going to tell you more about this story when we get back. These are the heroes out there. Uh, everyday Americans that jumped in and did something. It's time for the Bloomberg Money Minute. We'll be back. You at the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Three, uh, 3.54 here. We were talking about one of the many heroes, civilian heroes, who stepped forward to say, not on my watch, including his wife. And he was there with his two grown kids. I shouldn't say grown kids, teenage kids. Um, Trey Filter heard somebody shout, get him. Seconds before he saw a flash speeding through the panic crowd of revelers who were ducking for cover after gunshots rang out. My brain tells me that must be him, Filler recalled to the post hours after the shooting that left one dead and 22 others injured. I literally remembered when I was tackling him. I sure hope this is who they were yelling me to get because I just went boom. I really don't recall seeing him coming. The man was one of three people arrested after the shooting, not the person who stopped him, the person who was running. In a now viral video, Filter can be seen leaping on the fleeing man and dragged him to the ground, preventing him from sprinting into the sea of confused and terrified attendees. The suspected gunman quickly wiggled free, but was immediately tackled by a second Chiefs fan who somersaulted in the dirt with the man in a desperate attempt to keep him at bay. That's when Filter jumped back into the fray and began pummeling the alleged gunman's ribs while his wife, Casey, lunged for the gun that the fleeing man had dropped during the struggle. Filter believed the weapon was a rifle, but police would not confirm when asked by the media. I don't know if I knocked him out when I tackled him or what, but I had him squeezed so hard he might have been passed out all the time for what I know. I just started racking him in his ribs, Filter recalled. Second Chiefs fan who Filter said was a complete stranger, delivered several blows to the alleged gunman's face, which Filter said he never got a chance to see. Bystanders were screaming that the man had a gun, and Filter, not knowing that his wife had already neutralized the threat, continued searching the man for a firearm. I was just yelling, F your gun, and I was hitting him in the ribs. I was, it was uh, great, you know, American stuff, Filter said. Gotta love that. Cops arrived in less than a minute and cuffed the alleged gunman, said Filter. Filter stood up to a round of applause, looked around for his two sons, and plainly said, get your mother, we're getting the F out of here. The family who skipped a day of school and work to celebrate their favorite team had no idea how serious the situation had been until after they began their three-hour drive back to their home in Wichita. At least one person identified 
by loved ones as the mother of two, Lisa Lopez Galvin, we spoke about her already, was killed in the shooting and 22 were injured. Filter Casey and their two sons, ages 12 and 15, were leaving the celebration when the gunfire erupted. The father said at first he thought somebody set off firecrackers. One of his boys asked if it could have been gunshots, at which the asphalt company owner responded, I highly doubt it. The reason I say that's because there were a military presence on top of the building above us with machine guns. Obviously, they were capable of using it. Everybody felt pretty safe, I would say, Filter said. Then it almost like a mouse is loose in the house, everybody's jumping. Filter humbly danced around praise he received instead, commended his fellow Kansas City Chiefs fans for whom he worked in tandem to tackle the alleged gunman. He also raved about his pride for his wife of 20 years who grabbed the massive gun before the man could cause more bloodshed. I literally just wanted to get some good points in my kids. I felt bad for taking them out of school, and it's a unique situation where in Kansas, let's go to this thing. We went last year. I just wanted some dad points. I'm really glad we're not in the other boat and these uh, that those people are in, Filter said, speaking about the victims. Police have not yet revealed the motive for the shooting or any details about the alleged gunman. Um, since this article has been written, they did say that it was a dispute between two groups. Um, multiple individuals are in custody. Two are juveniles. One of the suspected shooters is uh, alleged to be of juvenile. Um yeah, I'd say he, he earned his dad's points. Imagine being in an event like this with your wife for 20 years, your two teenage kids. Here comes a guy running down, uh, allegedly have a firearm. You just believe there's shots fired at this point. Tackling him, getting into a physical confrontation, giving him your shots, worrying about your wife, worrying about your kids. Thankfully, other individuals jumped right in here. Um, heroes, every single one of them. Including, you know, the wife who removed the firearm from the area. If this guy would have got loose, got a hold of it again, who knows what would have happened. His kids, his wife, him, the rest of the people around there. Heroes all around us. We just need to take the time to focus through the nonsense and identify them. But they're all around.